Cult situations and God brought them out. I am a living testimony of what it means to have been in places of difficulty, painful places. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you are one who you know the testimonies, but you're facing something that's new. Uh, just because we came through it, what doesn't mean you come through it one time only right? Multiple times in our life are the things that we have to work ourselves through. And so today I want to take on this subject out of Luke chapter two. And if I was going to give a title to this message, the title of my message is transforming your pain into purpose, transforming your pain into purpose. I think so many times one thing that we can all say concerning the world we're living in right now is that there is pain in our world. There is pain in our churches. There is pain in our homes. There is pain on the street corners. There is pain in city halls. There is pain, right? Pain is something that comes to all of us. It don't matter if you are the richest or you're the poorest. It doesn't matter if you're the best educated or you have no educated at all. Pain is not stingy. It visits everybody's home. And the real key to what makes us different as believers, if you're a believer in here today, what makes you different or what should make you different is not the way you encounter pain because pain is true whether or not it happens to any of us. Difficulty, discouragement, disappointment, that doesn't stop just because you gave your life to Christ. In fact, there's a scripture that the Bible says that every temptation, everything that could bring infirmity to your life, Jesus felt himself on the planet. Do you know what that means? That means even the Son of God wasn't exempt from encountering what felt like could take him out. If the Son of God, that was true for him, it's true for us, that today we're not exempt, but the key is we may not be exempt from it, but how we deal with it, how we process it, and how it shows up in our life is what should be the change agent of what it is that God's doing that makes us different than people around us. See, I've met people who have been in pain for a long time. Let me tell you something. Time does not heal wounds. I have met 70-year-old people who, when you get to talking to them, what they talk to you about is the divorce that took place in their life from their cheating husband when they were 32. They've been remarried. They have a set of children. They, they look the look. They're coming to church. They're loving Jesus. But as soon as you get to talking to them, it's not a testimony of God's grace bringing them out and transforming their pain. It just takes you back to why they are the way they are today and help you understand what it is that they've caused as their control factors, where their walls are, right? People will always reveal through their language their residue. Always. Whatever's in you will come out of you. And so I want to talk about what God does through Luke chapter 2, through a specific woman in Scripture, what God does in her life to transform her pain. So I'm going to read out of the Message Bible, and I'm asking you to join me in Luke 2. I'm sure they're going to put it on to the screen because not all of us are reading out of the Message Bible. But I just liked the way that it said it. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. This is what the Bible says. Anna, the prophetess, was there also, the daughter of Panel from the tribe of Asher. 
She was by now a very old woman. She had been married seven years and a widow for 84. She never left the temple area, worshiping night and day with her fasting and her prayers. And at the very time Simeon was praying, she showed up. She broke into anthem of praising to God and talked about the child to all who were waiting expectantly for the freeing of Jerusalem. Now, maybe some of you are more in tune with the New Testament than I was, but I'm not sure if you know, but she is one of the only New Testament characters that were given her age. The only one. If you're reading in a different translation, it actually says how old she was, which is going to be interesting to our dialogue today because, like I said, time don't heal nothing. See, some of us, we get to gray hair stage in our life, And we start to think that we've got our cover so mastered that no one's ever going to confront the wounds of 20-year-old self. See, we think because we became the grandparent, God excuses us from dealing with the wounds of parenthood. That's all right. I'll preach to somebody that wants to listen. I'm I'm using this as an example today because I think it's so vital for us to understand that in the same way as they were giving us context for her age, I think the writer was wanting us to understand that she knew what it was like to have to be healed. She knew what it was like to experience pain and still have to be healed. 1 Thessalonians gives us a really important scripture. We use it all the time in funerals or places of people, of burials, but I want to use it today for this specific purpose. It's out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. You can just mark it in your notes and go back there later. And it says this, But I do not want you to be ignorant. This is Paul who is writing to the Thessalonians concerning those who have fallen asleep. In other words, concerning the things that you are, you are sorrowing about, I don't want you to be ignorant, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. This is what Paul was trying to tell the Thessalonians. He said, there's going to be feelings of loss in your life. There is going to be places of sorrow in your life. There is going to be times that you don't know up from down or or you don't feel like you can get your head above water or you're not sure you can make it another day or you're not clear on how it was that that child ended up in drug abuse when you brought them to church every Sunday, taught them the word of God, gave them everything that you could give them. You can't figure out exactly why it is this sorrow has come to you. And this is what Paul said. When things like that happen, when you feel like death is on the threshold of some place in your life. What I don't want you to do as a Christ follower is fall into the ignorance that everybody else falls into and believe that just because you're facing something that looks like death, there is still hope even if it's dead. See, there is only one promise that can tell us in Jesus that says even after something is gone, it's still resurrectable. It is the only place in Scripture that we have an indication that what bridges the gap between what we think we're losing and what God wants to restore to us is hope. And I just want to talk to us today about transforming pain because I think that God often wants to transform the pain in people's lives, but instead of us bringing our pain to him, we embed our pain with religious stuff. Yeah. 
We let it go down deep and we, we build up walls of resistance. And here's what happens when you build walls. You do keep the bad stuff out, but you also keep the good stuff from coming in. And walls are protection mechanisms that come as a result of having someone or something take advantage of you that you just didn't see coming. And this is what happens. If you don't transform your pain, your pain will become a place for bitterness. Your pain will lead you to a bitter end. In the book of Exodus, when we see the children of Israel and they're coming out of, of the great place of slavery that they were in with, with uh, all of the Egyptians, and they see these mighty works. They come to the Red Sea, and, and they now have all the gold of, of, uh, of the Egyptians, and, and they're just walking, and they, all of a sudden they're thirsty because they've been walking day after day, and they have nothing to drink. And the Bible says that they got to a stream of water, and they got so excited about this stream of water, and so someone went over and took a sip of the stream and they found out that in the stream of water it was actually bitter water it was not clean water and immediately in the book of Exodus the Bible says that the children of Israel began to complain to Moses because they expected it to be clean and they expected it to be different than what they showed up to and this is what I want to make the parallelism with that day to this day is that sometimes God brings us out but because we have become so forgetful about what he's done for us because now we're dependent upon the things that are right in front of us we're just thirsty we're tired we're out. We don't like where God has us. We don't like the condition that we're feeling. We don't like the areas that we're having to walk through. We don't like our boss. We don't like who we're married to. We don't like our children. We're mad because God won't purify the waters and I keep going back to the waters wanting God to do something and all I'm drawing is bitter water. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that when you start drawing out of bitterness, you start to become a complainer. If you want to know people that walk in bitterness, all you have to do is talk to them and find out what they're complaining about. Because cynicism and complaining is the characteristics of a bitter heart. And the Bible says that Moses was so upset because he realized that these characters, these, these men and women who he had just brought through the most miraculous Red Sea experience, they were so broken down by the fact that they couldn't drink this water that he got mad too. The preacher was mad at his congregation. Everybody mad. But the Bible says that when he looked around that the word of the Lord came to him and said, there's a tree over there. If you'll take that tree and you'll throw it in that water, I will make what was bitter sweet. Do you want to know what that parallelism is from the Old Testament to the New Testament? The parallelism is this. Anytime that you encounter something bitter, you got to apply the tree, a.k.a. the cross. And when you apply the cross to what was bitter, what was bitter can be made sweet. So God's intention, even from the beginning of Exodus all the way to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians, is to help us understand that he never wants us to reside in bitter places. He never wants us to live at the stream of a bitter heart. He doesn't want us just because we encounter something bitter to become bitter from it. And here's the key. If we don't learn to transform our pain, what happens is, is that our pain transforms us. 
whatever you don't take authority over, God doesn't have authority over. John 10, 10 is a verse. I love, the, I love the book of John. I always recommend people to read it because it shows so many characteristics of who God is. And in John 10, 10, we have a popular verse, and we love to preach it because it preaches really good. But it's about the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10. And we love to talk about how that thief is Satan. But I'd like to show a different side of what that verse also means. That verse also means anything unassigned in your life or not given a purpose in your life has the potential to rob from your life. See, even money, if it doesn't have a purpose to you, can become something of an obstacle to rob from you and become a thief to you and cause you to become drained by it. If your marriage doesn't have a purpose, then what you will do is you will put things into it that it was never supposed to produce. You will see your spouse as something he or she was never supposed to be. And all of a sudden, instead of having purpose to that marriage, that marriage now comes and robs from you and takes from you and drowns you out. Because here's the key. The thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy is anything that's unassigned in your life. So guess one of the places that goes unassigned in our life most times? It is the pain, the disappointment, and the discouragement of our our life. When we look at the characteristics of Anna, Anna was a woman who had been married and lost her husband seven years in. She didn't even have a chance to build a family. And she had had her husband pass. And immediately she gets decision time on what do I do now that I've encountered what I did not expect because what I expected was that I would spend the rest of my life with this man building a family. I would spend the rest of my days doing this life that I thought and I had prepared for all of my days. But God said, hold on, I've changed things up a little bit on you and I want to know now that there's places of discouragement in you, now that you're dealing with pain, what what are you going to do about it? Listen to me. I know what it's like to go through painful experiences. There is no doubt that there have been days in my walk with Christ that my family has faced things that we did not expect, places that you didn't see coming, things that we had to walk through. I can still remember walking in for a, a mammogram that I had to have and, and the doctor saying there's something there that doesn't look right. Not maybe none of y'all over here ever had no doctor's appointments, but I'll talk to the people over here that's had doctor's appointments. And when you don't know what they're looking at, and all of them say, we're going to go out here and have a little conversation and come back and let you know. Well, I ain't, I ain't good about all that. You ain't going to have no conversation without me. This is about me. So you can have your conversation right here. Bring everybody in here. The doctor said, well, we're going to talk about things that I don't know that you'll totally understand the terminology for. I said, I don't care if I understand it. It's about me. You can tell you want me as your patient. And I'll never forget them coming in and, 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 uh, and them having a discussion with me and saying, we're going to have to do things differently and we're going to have to get this done and this done. And, and I remember coming and telling my mom and dad, this is what the doctor said. And I don't know what that means. And we were right in the middle of a gathering here in Oklahoma City because my father had just been through one of the most difficult places in his whole life. He had been in the hospital for over 21 days. He, it took him six months, even close to recovery, didn't it, mom? We were pastoring this church at the time and it was so complicated 
dislocated already. Everything was so difficult. We were, we were basically fighting on all sides. I mean, we talk about it sometimes. I think, how did we even live through those days? I, I don't know. I mean, it's only God's grace. But I can remember walking in and thinking, we just got dad back like into the pulpit. And here I am facing a doctor who's telling me that I might have breast cancer. And I remember thinking to myself, what are you going to do with the information that's been given to you? Because here's the key. The key is pain is not exempt, but what you do with it is always your choice. Because you're a Christian does not remove it from you. It just gives you responsibility. You understand where to go with it so that you get where God intended for you to go. Immediately in the midst of that place, the first thing that I did was find myself in the house of God. That's the God on his truth. That is not some put on. That's not some great little preacher talk. The first thing I did was walk into this church. I sat my rear end right here in the first row and I prayed to the Lord. I said, God, I don't know. I have no idea. I trust you. I'm 35 years old. I have no clue what to do about this. It doesn't make sense. At that time, there was no history of that in our family. It made absolutely no sense. And I remember the voice of the Lord coming to me and saying, if you'll stay in communion with me, I will bring you out of this place. So here's the key. The key is, is in order for you and I to be able to transform our pain, you got to know who to get to and who to stop talking to. Some of us, the first thing we do when we find out something that's going on in our life was unexpected, we pick up our phone or we pick up our text message or we go to our Facebook page and we start saying things looking for soothing but not transformation power. Let me help us. No friend of yours can transform your pain into purpose. No friend of yours can change what God can only change. He is the master of your hope. He is the one who came and made a way where there seemed to be no way. They can, they can build you up. They can soothe you. They can get behind you, but they cannot transform you. Only God has the power to transform. Only God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. He is the one who is able to see you through. I don't know what you're facing, but nobody on your social media cares and none of them can help you. The only ones that can make a difference is the one who's sitting between the lines of this book who says I am that I am. I will do what I said I would do. I will make you into what I said I would make you into. It may look like you've lost. It may look like you can't get out. You may look disappointed, but I'm the God of the book and if I can do it for them, I will do it for you. God wants to transform our pain. He is sitting, waiting on us. And the Bible says that immediately when Anna lost her husband and her dreams felt shattered. Now listen to me. You don't need to look at this. If you're a teenager or a young adult, go, I ain't married. I ain't got nothing to do with me today. Let me help you. Yes, it does. Anna lost her husband, but whatever you lost, it matters too. It matters what you're doing with what you do with your disappointment. The bottom line was she was disappointed. She wasn't expecting what happened.
It didn't go the way she thought it would go. And as a result of it, what did she do? The Bible says that she went to the temple. She went to the temple. Now listen, I am not into condemnation. I'm into conviction. But God, help us that the first place we go when financial trouble hits is to the bank. Or the first place we go when we find out something from the doctor is to the friend's house. Where are we that we are no longer willing to come to the house of God in our brokenness? We are a lighthouse set on a hill. We are the very place that when we just, you say, well, God's not in a building. You're absolutely right. He's not. He's in me. But I want you to know something. When we step on the property, have you ever been to a Halloween, 30, like a, a Halloween thing that you walk through? What are they? Haunted houses. Haunted houses, right? Haunted house. You go to a haunted house. Do you pray at the haunted house? Like, I don't mean like pray about not seeing something. I'm talking about like you have like a throw down with God there. Like this is the time for your faith to be built. And ooh, I feel you, God. You got Ashley worship going on in your mind. Why? Because the atmosphere of the haunted house doesn't lend itself to building your faith, but producing fear in you. It changes your emotion. It causes you to see the environment differently. Guess what happens when you step through the threshold of the church that God has planted you in? It changes your emotion. It causes you to see your environment differently. In the same way you don't go a haunted house looking for your faith, you don't don't come to church remaining in your fear when you get into the house of God something happens when you cross the threshold and God just begins to say I'm with you yeah I am your Emmanuel I am the God with you and someone just gives you that smile when you haven't seen anybody all week smiling and someone says you look pretty today and nobody's giving you a compliment in a month something happens when you come into the presence of other people who have the faith that you have when you've been sitting on the backside not knowing what to do but that threshold crossing does something in you so do not tell me God is not in a building for God is in a building when we're in a building ain't nobody upset but somebody needs to confront the truth nobody is going to a strip club to stay pure. And yet, we want to believe that in some way the house of God is just a brick and mortar building. How far from the truth that is. Because that day when I came in here, God arrested my spirit. And what felt like I wasn't sure, I began to get what the book of Psalms call sure-footed confidence. Anna found herself at the only place she knew could bring her out. She would have rathered spent the rest of her life serving at the temple than to go remarry to go have children, to go live with loved ones. Because that's how 
much she felt that the temple could bring healing and transform what felt like something she couldn't get through. Is this okay? So I want to just tell you three quick things about Anna's life that I think helps us to know how to transform our pain. The first one is this. She was willing to see what other people did not see. The Bible calls her a prophetess. Now, I love to talk about this. It has been in my, it's actually probably been in every sermon I've done in the last year because I just don't know how to get off of it yet. And that is that we are called to prophesy to ourselves first. We have turned prophetic things into the wrong place. We have allowed ourselves to believe that prophesying is a foretelling that someone else gives to you. That is actually not the entire purpose of prophetic things, and it's certainly not the purpose of what 1 Corinthians meant when Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I just want to tell you and teach you about what it means to be prophetic. And he said, above all the gifts that you have, I declare to you that you should want to be a prophet. You should want to be someone who can learn how to prophesy. And you know why he was telling the Corinthians that? He was telling them that because he was saying to them that if you can learn how to speak to the future of your own life, you will advance in every area of your life. Here is what I have found about Anna. She is referred to as a prophetess, but what we can deduct from that in the 21st century is that she had vision about the future. Whenever God wants to transform our pain, he wants us to stop looking like this. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, uh -huh. I'm there. I love serving. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm straightforward. Woo, ain't looking back. Nope. Most of the time, we try to lead ourselves through our past. We lead our future hopes through our past experiences. And whatever we experienced in the past determines what we're, being, what we're willing to be hopeful about in the future. And this is what Anna demonstrates to us and what God teaches us in Scripture, that when you learn how to get a prophetic edge to your life, and you learn how to stop living at what was and what can be. You turn your head from looking at all the past things that went wrong, and you begin to see the hopefulness that God can bring on what can go right into the future. See, listen, just because the first marriage fell apart doesn't mean the second one will. Just because you didn't get it right on the first entrepreneurial thing you tried to do doesn't mean that it won't work the second. Just because the first time that you tried to conceive didn't work doesn't mean you shouldn't go back to bed. Amen, all the men. Yes, Lord, tell them again. My point is this, she was willing to see what no one else was willing to see. You have to get a vision about your life when no one else is looking at that same vision with you. You cannot expect your life to be transformed. You cannot expect your pain to be transformed if you're always referring to it at every next major decision. If you are still going that way in order to decide what you will do to go this way, it is not wisdom that has taught you. It is not even reflection. It is regret. Regret causes you to look backwards. Reflection 
causes you to look forward by learning from what was backwards. It's all right. Y'all going to get something out of this. One way or the other, ain't leaving none of y'all out. So what happens in our life? When God begins to transform our pain in the same way he was Anna, she began to say, you know what? I realize that what I've been through, I could go and dump on everybody around me. See, listen, I know a lot of folk, they get into a church service and they're not looking for freedom from their pain or transformation from their pain. They're looking for somebody to soothe their pain. So they can't wait to tell everybody what they've been through. You know the kind of people I love? The ones that I have known for 15 or 20 years, and all of a sudden I learn a piece of their story that I had no idea was there, and it is like something I never, ever in a million years would have guessed. And then when I figure it out, I think to myself, wow, what an incredible woman or man that they have no residue on them of what was before. All they have done is seen the transformation of that pain to where now they may be more empathetic. They may be people who understand what it means to be low and have to be raised up out of the dirt, but they're not people who go down to the dirt, constantly reminding you of what they were and where they came from and what they had to give up and how difficult it was because they are men and women of stature. They know what it means to pull themselves out by the glory of God and walk uprightly before him. See, listen, your testimony is not always about your story that you tell. Sometimes it's about the life you keep living. I have a great friend. I've known her for many, many, many years. She may even, before her church service, be watching. She watches a lot. And her name's Lori. And I remember meeting her, and she's a doctor, and she's, I mean, she's smarter than me, like by 55,000 times, you know. She's always telling me something. In fact, she would be really upset that I put my hand in my pocket. That was one of the things she told me one time. I should put my hand in my pocket. And uh, I love her. She and I are great friends, and we were friends for a long time, and I never knew. Uh, she's married to a great man. They live in Salt Lake City. I never knew that she had a child. I never knew that she had a child, and her child died um, just over one years old. As a result of it, there were worship leaders, her and her husband, and they, and they were heavily involved in a church, and they could not deal. They had a difficult time dealing with the death of their child, and, and he left her. And uh, it was years, years before I knew that. And I remember one day sitting across from her in Columbia, and just I never told her, but in my mind, I just thought to myself, I can't believe I have known you for a decade. And I never sensed one time anything on you. Never. When she told me, she didn't tell me unemotional. She was very much moved by her own story. But she said these words to me, and I think they're so fitting for where we're at today. She said, you know, Amanda, it did not serve me well to keep reminding myself of where I had been. She said, I'm not embarrassed about my story. It just didn't serve me well to constantly look back. It's funny because I'm the exact age of what her daughter would be. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day when I went up to my room and he said, you are the fulfillment of something she's longed for. 
Isn't that interesting? Because she was willing to see what someone else didn't see. Number two, consistency always has the advantage. Consistency always has the advantage. You know what consistency is? Your habits. What do your habits reflect about your life? Anna's habits. She found herself in prayer. She found herself in fasting. She found herself in the temple. She found herself serving. She found herself speaking into her future. Her habits indicated her hopes. Whatever your habits are in your life, you are creating your future through. Whatever you want to have a habit in, you have to learn how to create it. Listen to me. They give you all these books that it takes 21 days to create a new habit. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I'm sure most of us are glad that those books exist. But let me tell you something. It takes you a lifetime to maintain it. You don't ever get into a lifestyle of habit making that you don't have to pay attention to the habits that you want in your life. People ask me all the time, how is it that you're able to just pray like that and you're able to read your Bible like that and you're able to lead like that? Because I'm in the habit of studying the Bible. God may have called me to this particular type of fivefold ministry, but he is not withholding revelation from you. If you get into the habit, God will give it to you too. He'll just use people like me to confirm the word in you. Because here's the thing, your habits are reflections. What do your habits reflect? What is it that's in your life that's showing your consistencies? The greatest issue in the earth today, particularly in the American culture, is not our willingness, it's not our desire, it's not even our heartfelt hope. It is our consistency to remain steadfast when everything around us gives us an out. Steadfastness is a characteristic of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It is the same word that means to be consistent. Whenever you are consistent, you are steadfast. That means that when someone comes to you with a problem, they don't think you're going to become someone different. And when they come to you with a victory, they don't think you're going to become someone different. And when you're going through something, it's not that you have to ignore what you're going through. You're just consistent. I guarantee you there's not one person who was in our church that decade ago that I was facing those doctor's appointments that would have ever known that to be true in my life. I wasn't hiding it. I just remained consistent through it. Consistency always has the advantage. Whatever you are consistent at, you are constantly moving your life towards. If you are consistently trying to make more money, you will make more money. If you are consistently trying to get the job promotion, you will get the job promotion. The problem is, is that your consistency sometimes leads you to places you didn't actually want to end up. Because consistency is neutral. You have to put it into the presence of right things and discern what is right for you and not what is wrong for you. Because you can be consistent at some bad things. I know some consistent liars. They real, they, they up front, but they lie all the time. They're like the kind of people that you're not sure if they're wearing red or blue, but they think they're wearing both. Consistency is a neutral item in the same way money is neutral. You get to assign to it purpose. 
And whatever you get consistent about, God says, I will bring you into a consistent place. I will begin to manifest myself to you in ways. You say, well, how can that be? Because point number three is when she was consistent, God showed up. Listen to me. If you read through Luke 1 and 2 and you read through Luke 2, you will never find where God came to Mary and Joseph and said, now listen, there's a man named Simeon and another woman named Anna. They've been praying for me for a long time. They've been searching me and holding up faith. They've been serving in the church. Go and speak with them. It's not in the Bible. You know why it's not in the Bible? Because that was not what Mary and Joseph were doing. Mary and Joseph were going to the temple. But God knew out of the consistency of Simeon and Anna's life that they'd get their encounter because they were at the place they always were. Most of the miracles you and I miss have nothing to do with God not meeting our need or bringing it on time. It's that we couldn't stay where God put us. The donkey that the Lord rides in. The Bible says that Jesus said to his disciples, go to this place and when you get there, you're going to find a young colt and the colt's going to be tied up right here. And when you find it there, unloose it, take it to this place. Now listen to me. How do you know? This is a, these are two days in advance that God is speaking about a donkey. How much more does it matter to him when he uses his word to say, Amanda, Amanda's going to be there because she's consistent in her action. I can trust that she's going to be at the place that I've ordained her to be because every time I look and I watch upon her, I see that she's a woman of her word. She's steadfast in what she does. So I don't have to bring a special miracle through some kind of Amazon package that I follow her around and figure out where she's at today and where she's at tomorrow I'm just going to bring it to where I already designed it and when she shows up it will be there because she is consistent God encounters in you and I's life appear out of our consistency you want to grow your life get consistent in the Bible you want to grow your marriage learn how to get with other people who have good ones like, if you're 25 and you're only around 25-year-old marriages, it's going to be a 25-year-old marriage. Ashley, you better come because I can tell. Come, almighty man. Bring your leatherness up. Didn't y'all like that today, Ashley's leather jacket? I was like, woo, woo, Ashley. Like, we're going, I was like, we're going to rock it out, brother. I'm telling you all this to help us understand that when we want our pain to be transformed, God wants to remove the residue off of our stories. He wants to remove off of us any indication of what it was so that we can live in what can be. People who have really had transformational places in their life, people who have learned how to transform their pain, they do not have to refer to what was in order to give credit to what is. I don't have to qualify where I'm at. You say, well, what's my testimony? My testimony becomes my ability to see my pain transformed so that I speak the words that 1 Thessalonians said, I now speak out of hope. 
Do you know what the Bible says that Paul said? He said in the, in the book of, of Philippians, he said, I've been through a lot of things. I've, I've had these things done to me. I've been imprisoned. I've been taken advantage of. He said, but, but I've figured something out. You can imprison everything around me, including me. But you can never imprison the word that was entrusted to me. Here's what I'm coming to tell you today. If you want your world to be transformed, you want your pain to stop hunting you down, then you got to get your life back into alignment on what it means to be consistently a follower. You got to be willing to address what you're unwilling to say. You got to go to people who are at different places in their life that you know are struggles in yours, and you have to say, I need you. Most of us are so independent in our hearts. We call it, oh, well, we just don't want to bother people. But that's not really true. It's that we like doing life our way. And as soon as we let someone into our way, we may have to see it a different way. And that, ladies and gentlemen, we don't like. And so we will hold on to pain for as long as it does not become detrimental to our physical life, never accounting for what it's doing emotionally, mentally, psychologically, because you would be surprised at how good we are at keeping it. Eventually, painful things become integrated in our life when they're not dealt with. And I've just come to tell someone today, in the same way Anna said, you know what? I'm gonna prophesy into my future. I'm gonna get consistent about where you can find me. And when God shows up, I'm gonna tell everyone I know who he is, what I've been believing for, and how good his goodness has come to us. I'm coming to tell you when your pain's been transformed, your story doesn't carry the past, it carries the future. It's not about who you were, it's about who God has made you. God's not trying to make us into demigods. He's trying to make us the very example of what it means to be Christ-following humans. What it means to encounter difficulty but still come out stronger. What it means to, to have pain in our life but come out better than we were. Because truly mature Christians are people that do not let pain be transformed by them. They let God transform their pain. So at this point, she found purpose. So here's what I wanna do. I'm getting ready to close, but I know that there are many people sitting in this room that you know what it's like to be in painful places. You may even be there today. Discouragement, disappointment. This year has been a hard year. Maybe you're like Mike and Carrie and you know what it's like to hit some, some walls. I'm coming to challenge you that it's time for us to make some commitments to uproot what is taking root and see that thing come out so that we don't carry pain into our future. We let God transform it. God's not trying to just remove it. See, we like to use that kind of word because it preaches good, but it's not true. God doesn't want to remove your pain. He wants to transform your pain. 
If he transforms it, you keep remaining empathetic to people who are in it. Because see, listen, I know what that doctor's appointment was like, but five doctor's appointments later, a doctor looked at me and said, you know what, this is just scar tissue. But let me tell you something. That day, I stood right over here six months ago and had a member of our church walk up and said, I'm fighting breast cancer. If God removed my pain, I could have looked at her with religious eyes and just said, well, you know, God will get you through it. But see, the moment she said her doctor's appointment, it took me back to my own. But this time, not out of despair. See, listen, doubting God is okay. Being in despair is not. Despair is unbelief. I didn't go back to despair. I went back in empathy and said, you know what? I know where you're at. And here's what I know. No matter if you have the same result or you have a different journey, the same God who walked beside me will walk beside you. And the same one who brought me out will bring you out because God doesn't want to remove my ability to connect with someone's pain. He wants to transform it so that when it does connect, I say, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. I have been where you're at, but God is bringing us to a greater place. Will you stand with me? Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask our, our prayer teams if they will come. I'm going to lead us in a corporate prayer. I'm gonna ask God to begin just to reveal to us places. There are all kinds of people in this room. This, this was not just a time for us to also deal with people who are in pain. This is also some of the time that we need to begin to grow consistent in the midst of our pain. Some of us are aware of it, that we have consistencies we need to grow in. Others of us, we need someone to connect with us today to say, you know what? I'm living in that despaired place. I'm living in that discouragement and I'm ready to see my pain transformed by the presence of God. There's no greater time than to let God transform you than when you're in the house of the Lord. Listen to me. There is no greater time to connect with a prayer partner than in the house of the Lord. Please do not walk out of this door today and say, I'll take care of it on my own. It's not that you're incapable. It's just not God's best. His best is for you to come and stand with someone and say, I'm ready to go to the next level. So here's what I want to do right now. I'm going to have Ashley sing. I'm asking you if you'll stick with me for three more minutes. Ashley's going to sing a song. Then I'm going to make an appeal. Then I'm going to pray a prayer. And then we're going to invite people who say, you know what? I want to transform my pain today. I want you to come today. I want you to meet with someone and let them begin to pray prayers into you that will build your faith and your confidence. Amen. Let's sing together. We set our hope on you. We set our hope on your love. We set our hope on the one who is the everlasting God. You are the everlasting God. You are the everlasting. We set our hope on you. We set our hope on your love. Set our hope on the one who is the everlasting God. You are the everlasting. 
my voice right now, whether online or in this room, but particularly right here, right now, that you know God right now is talking to you. He's talking to you about the places in your life, the discouragements, the disappointments, the places that you have been pained, things that you've walked through, things they, they could have been 20 years ago, they could have been yesterday. I don't know where they're at, but I'm telling you, there are people up here to meet with you. I want you to get out from where you are. I want you to let somebody pray with you right now. Maybe you're far from God. Maybe you don't even have an ongoing relationship with God. I want you to come right now. This is not the time to be shy. This is the time to come to say, I need help. I need to transform my pain. Listen, people are coming. We'll have plenty of people at the altars. If we need more people, more people will come. Because this is what we know. We know God is in the house. He is the Emmanuel, God with us, and he's ready to transform us. So right now, I'm telling you, get out from where you are. Don't get shy. No one's looking at you. This is the time for you to come and say, I'm transforming my pain. I'm taking my sorrows replacing them with the joy of the Lord in Jesus name come now come now come now you we said our hope on your love we said our hope on the one who is the everlasting God you are the everlasting God you are the everlasting we said our hope on you we set our hope on your love. We set our hope on the one who is the everlasting God. You are the everlasting God. You are the everlasting. We set our hope on you. We set our hope on your love. We set our
over your people. I thank you that you're causing favor to rest upon them. I thank you that they're growing. They're not going backwards. I thank you, Lord, that they're walking in the path that you've ordained for them. I thank you that you're giving them handfuls on purpose, that you're causing them to increase in every dimension of their life. And Lord, today I speak the favor of God over each one of them, that you will cause increase on their job, increase in their family, You'll cause them to be multiplied out in talent and anointing. Bless your people today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you still want prayer, there's people here. Come now. We love you. And we